Man, isn't it a good day to be in the house of the Lord? Isn't it a good day to be at church? See, we've come to the place where God says, this is the place I want to show up because you're my body. And it's where the body of Christ comes together that God says, this is where I want to demonstrate myself. And so God says, come. And for some of you, it's took everything in you to get here. But you're here. You took that step of faith, that obedience unto God. And you said, God, no matter what a hell of a week that I've had, I am coming to this place. Because some of you have had a really rough time. Do you know what tragedy is? How many of you all can say, I have experienced tragedy in my life? Maybe it was a sudden death. Maybe it was a diagnosis of a child of innocence to cancer. Maybe it was a completely out of the blue divorce. Maybe, I don't know what it was. But you know Because you've lived life through this process, through this pain, and you've experienced some of the greatest, deepest hurts that can be experienced by a person. And you're still here. The devil did not win. You're still here. I was in... Canada a few years back and I was preaching a revival at a Vietnamese congregation. Imagine that. And as we were receiving people, a a dear Vietnamese lady comes up to me and says, "I I need you to anoint me and I need you to pray for healing for my life. And and I said, okay, ma'am, would you please tell me some of what's transpired inside your life? And would you tell me if there's any bitter root that may be inside you where you are holding bitterness and unforgiveness and, and, and that would prevent God from healing you because you are resisting the move in the presence of God in your life and she said to me I was completely dumbfounded she said I need to forgive the man that shot my son 15 years ago we anointed her and prayed with her and over her and she came back the next night and she was glowing She said, I slept for the first time in 15 years because I chose to release. And God worked. I don't begin to tell you I understand why we go through tragedies. But I do know this, God is greater than our tragedies. And God, even in the midst of pain and even in the midst of hurt and even in the midst of heartache, God says, I'm going to use this in a way for my glory. We don't see it on this side oftentimes. We may not understand it down here oftentimes, but God says, I've got this, but you've got to trust me and you've got to yield to me and you've got to be be in a place where, where you will say, yes, Lord. But getting to that place is not just as simple as 
saying, okay, we're going to skip to the loo, right? Have you learned yet life is not a t-ball game and everybody gets a trophy? Now, you've learned that, haven't you? Because it is not t-ball and everybody gets a trophy for showing up. No, God says, I have got a reward for you, and it is great, and it is glorious. And in the process of getting to that reward that I have for you in my eternal home, in my presence, he said, you will go through stuff, and you will go through difficulty, and you will go through trials. And in that process, I have got you in this. Now, sure, don't amen real loud, but sometimes I can be thick-headed. Now, I know, ladies, I'm the only man in this room that their wife thinks that I can be thick-headed or you're thick-headed. But, uh, and sometimes I'm a slow learner. Man, she's having too much fun this morning, right? All right. And sometimes God says, all right, big boy. You think you can handle it? You'll face a situation that you can't. And I've still got you in. But I'm going to use a situation that you can't. Because I'm trying to bring you to that point where all you can do There's not much left of me. But God, I surrender. And getting to the point where you say to Christ, I surrender. It takes a process. You see, because God is working a process in us all. Some of you all you're way down the road in the lessons that God has instructed to you and you've taught them or you've learned them. And some, you're just starting out and you still think you're 10 foot tall and bulletproof. Hang on. Your day will come. But God is trying to teach us it's only through a broken and poured out life to Him that we can be of use to his kingdom. And God did not create us and place us here to live the American dream. That's a lie from the devil. He has created us for all eternity. And he says, I am getting you ready now. I am preparing you now. And as you're simply focusing on the now, you need to be focusing on eternity. Because as long as I'm looking at my present, I'm not looking at my God. I'm not looking at where he's wanting to take me. He is preparing me. And in the process of preparing me, he says, your focus has got to be fixed on me. And not all this stuff. All this stuff is coming and all this stuff is going to happen. But you've got to keep your eyes fixed to me. And the devil does everything he can. And he's very good to get me distracted. Look in Genesis chapter 32. And in this chapter you find the story of a man who, who had a wrestling match with God. I was going to illustrate this by wrestling Bear this morning, but he does not hear, so man. 
he's preaching and done, so I have to keep bare for another day. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Genesis 32, beginning with verse 22. And he rose up that night, and he took his two wives and his two women servants and his eleven sons, and he passed over the ford Jabbok, and he took them and sent them over the brook, and he sent over that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. Get that picture, guys. He has just wrenched his hip out of socket. He has just caused pain to come into his life and he said I need you to bless me and he said what's your name and he said Jacob and he said thy name shall be called no more Jacob but Israel for as a prince thou hast power with God and has with man and has prevailed and Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, why thy name? And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Now, now you know the story of Jacob, don't you? You know he was the son of Isaac and Rebekah, and he had a brother named Esau. And, and, and Jacob, when, when he was in the womb with his twin brother Esau, he, they were fighting already. And, and as they fought inside the womb, and it says in Genesis 25, they were an answer to Isaac's prayer because that had not happened. She had been barren. And, and they were struggling in the womb. And it says the younger or the older would serve the younger. And when Esau was born, Jacob came out right after him and he was hanging on to his heel. Can you imagine the midwife thinking, this is unusual. First thing's unusual. This is the first time it talks about twins in the Bible being born. Can you imagine the midwife's eyeballs saying, you got two. But he's hanging on to the heel. And so he was given the name heel catcher. He was given the name schemer. He was given the name deceiver. He was given the name of Jacob. And he did everything in his power to live up to that name. And as he became a man, he decided to deceive his brother Esau out of the birthright. The birthright went to the firstborn. The firstborn would be the priest of his family. The firstborn would be the one who interceded from God to, to, to earn on behalf of his family. He was a tremendous privilege, a tremendous responsibility. And yet Esau, in his own limited wisdom, he sold his birthright for what? A bowl of soup. Your carnal cravings can cost you a whole lot more than you realize they are costing you. And so he was selling his birthright for a bowl of soup. And the next thing we find is Jacob is at it again. He is deceiving Esau out of the parental blessing. And you know the story. And when Esau finds out that he has lost 
not only the birthright of his father, but the blessing of his father. He flies into a rage. He's angry. And he says to his own brother, I will kill you. Now, Jacob, he hears those words. And he realizes this is a serious threat to my life. And I need to leave. Do you ever flee from messes that you create? Instead of facing the consequence of what I have done, let's just run away from it. Oh, we don't do that, do we? So he flees from what he Created, and he goes to his mother Rebecca's family in Padamaram, and there he meets up with Laban, his uncle. And do you know if Jacob was a deceiver and Jacob was a schemer, it was in the bloodline because Laban put it to Jacob. And Jacob got there and he fell in love with Laban's daughter. What was her name? Rachel. And he worked 14 years. Years, Jika, for his Rachel. All right. Did you? Never mind. That's another story. Fourteen years he worked, but the deception was he woke up the first morning, and guess who was in the bed with him? Not Rachel. Leah. And the Bible says that Leah was we got what does that mean <laughs> would you think it would be safe to say she's not that attractive now I heard a guy one time he said you have such a homely wife <laughs> this guy was from Ireland and this guy was from the states and he said Pardon? He said, you have such a homely wife. He said, well, she's not that bad looking. And the Irishman said, how do you define homely? He said, you know, homely means homely. He said, no, 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 no. In Ireland, homely means she is a homebody. She is an asset. She is wonderful. Boy, doesn't it make a difference where you're telling the definition of your story? So he says, she wasn't attractive to him, but he got her in the process. And it took 14 years for him to work. And the Bible says that Laban changed his wages 10 times. But Jacob, he figured out a way to cheat, to swindle his father in law. You remember the story where he put the poplar rods into the water and when the healthy goats and lambs would come, he would put the poplar rods in. I don't understand how that works out scientifically. It's God's story. And so the, 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 he would put the rams in and that's what Jacob's flock was going to be. It was getting this great huge strength and Laban's flock was dwindling to little scrawny, weak-eyed lambs. And Laban's other son said, Dad, we got a problem. Your son-in-law. And so 
so Jacob knows he's found out. So what does he do? He flees from his problem. You run from your problems. Do you run? Do you create a situation and walk away? Because that's what Jacob is doing. Guess who is still on the throne? Holy God. Guess who still has a plan? Almighty God. And so Jacob, he flees into the night with his, with his wife and his kids. He's trying to get ahead of him. And, and, and here comes Laban and the boys after him. And so he's headed back home to Esau. So, so he's got a brother that he's running to that's going to kill him. He's got a father-in-law that's coming after him that wants his hide. And so now we're at Jabbok. We're in the place where he wrestles with God. And what happens that night is he sends his wife, his servants, his kids, his herds across the river. And the Bible says that Jacob is alone. You see, God works in your life and in my life the same way. He gets us to this place of isolation where we get isolated away from everybody and all the voices that want to distract us. All those people that want to tell us how good we are and how nice we are. All those critics that want to tell us how bad we are. God can get us alone and he isolates us by ourselves so that we can hear him. Maybe that's where you are. You've gone through a traumatic time of life. You've gone through a season of loss. Maybe, as I shared a few weeks ago, God has stripped something away from you and left you with nothing but Him. He has you right where He wants you. And he is trying to speak into your heart. He's trying to speak into you truth. But you have to choose to respond. Because the most foolish thing I can do, the most foolish thing you can do, is take on a wrestling match with God. I will guarantee you, you will not win. And so God isolated Jacob. Well, it doesn't look like God isolated him. It looks like he isolated himself. It looks like he sent the people away. He got by himself. It's amazing how God works. It's amazing how God connects dots and engineers things to get you where you need to be, whereby you have to look up. He isolated him so that he could speak into his life and speak to his life. See, he, he created an impossible situation. Have you been in an impossible situation lately? Where, where, where you don't know what to do next because if I go forward, I've got Esau. If I go backward, I've got Laban. I don't know what to do. And so God created this situation for him where he isolated him and he got him to a place where he did not know what to do. There he is by himself. Now, now you all know the story of the prodigal son? Yeah. And, and where was he? He was in the pig pen of life. He was eating the husk, the, the, the slop for the hogs. 
and he was still planning. You read the story right. He said, I will arise and I will go to my father's house. And I will tell my father, I am not worthy to be a son. I am not worthy to be your child. Make me a hired servant in your house because I am not worthy. You say, how's that a plan? He's still scheming how he can get back on his feet and get money and I think take off again. Because when he got to the father, that's not what he said but that's what he had planned because we're great planners, right? If we can just get this domino to set up this way and we tap it, it's all going to go just, we got this thing, we manipulated it out. And he gets to his father and his father runs to him and he says, Father, I'm not worthy. And his father embraces him. And he said, put the ring on his finger, shoes on his feet, put a robe on his back. My son who was lost is now found. And he wasn't planning any longer. He just said, Father, I'm not worthy. See, see, too many people in the church, we think we're worthy. We think we've done God a favor by saying yes to Jesus. We think he ought to love us. And we're so filled with pride it pukens him. That's a new word from East Tennessee. Pukens. So God says, here's what I'm doing. And all of a sudden, he's got him isolated. All of a sudden, he's in a circumstance. He doesn't know what to do next. And then he, he incapacitates him. He touches his thigh. He touches him, and, and it causes pain inside his life. I believe one reason God got him alone was nobody's going to get in between him and God at this time you ever try to get in between God working in somebody's life oh no preacher I'm just trying to help them no you're not you're messing stuff up because if God's trying to get somebody's attention the last thing you want to do is get in between them and God because you might get what you didn't want to get so God got him alone where nobody's going to come around. Mama, Rebecca's not going to come and say, my little boy, my little boy. And he wrestles. And God takes. Anybody broke a hip in here? I know Dad has. Anybody else? Nobody else. Y'all blessed. When Dad broke a hip, it was painful. Couldn't walk and run. Ain't that unusual? He stops your running. Because, see, God has the ability to touch your life, my life, any way he wants to, to stop us from running away and dealing with life. And so, what's God trying? God is trying to get us to a point where we will love him completely. We will trust him explicitly and we will submit to his Wheel. And when God touched his thigh, Jacob could no longer run. God had him in a place where he had his undivided attention. And then God said, let me ask you a question. He said, what's your name? 
does God not know this is Jacob? In the Hebrew, when you ask someone their name, you're asking for their character. And so, as they've wrestled, and Jacob is saying, bless me, God is saying, before I can bless you, before I can release you, before I can use you, before you can fulfill the purpose for which I created you, you've got to get an honest confession about who you are. How long has it been since you got honest with God about who you are? He said, I'm, I'm Jacob. I'm deceiver. I'm schemer. I'm liar. I'm trickster. Who are you? I'm lustful. I'm a cheater. I'm a blasphemer. Who are you? Have you got honest with God about who you are? I'm an abuser. I'm a user. I'm a drinker. I'm a druggie. Who are you? Because, see, until you get honest, you never get to that place where God will raise you up again. See, and Jacob never walked without a limp the rest of his life. The book of Hebrews chapter 11 says, Jacob, leaning on his staff, Bless the Lord, he died. Leaning on his staff. You see, see, we have come here and we, we have exalted the name of Jesus Christ. We have gathered in this place to lift up God. We have come here to worship. But, but hear me, what we did was not worship. It was an expression of worship. Because you can't worship standing on two feet yourself. It's an expression of a brokenness that's in your life where you come before the Father and all you can do is exalt Him because of His greatness. All you can do is praise Him because of His mercy. All you can do is lift His name up because He's my God and my King and my Redeemer and my Savior and my hope and my eternity. He's my life. We merely express it. But if you're doing it on your own two feet, you're, you're performing for somebody. And listen to my bad English. It ain't Jesus. So God says, here's what's you going on. I'm going to take you and I'm going to make you into what I want you to be. He says, tell me who you are because we're all more than what meets the eye, right? We're gossip. We're criticism. We're murmurs. And God said, tell me what you are because until you get honest, you'll never be what I want you to be. 
so God's whole motivation to, to bring him to this point was to say, I will bless you. Now, if you were here Tuesday night at prayer meeting, maybe Sunday night, I dissected that little word blessed. The word blessed comes from the Hebrew word barak. You know what the word blessed in barak means? The word, not blessed in barak, blessed. Blessed in Hebrew barak, it also means blessing you better understand what it needs to bend bend the knee to him because God says I've got a plan I've got a kingdom and it's real and it's not in the sweet by and by it's real now and so God works and he says Look what happened as his blessing came upon Jacob. The first thing was, you see, there's a, there's a transformation of his personality. There's a transformation of his perspective. In verses 26 to 28, you, you see that. Here it says, and he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said, what is thy name? He said, Jacob. He said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob but Israel. For as a prince thou hast power with God and with men hast prevailed. He said, Jacob, you are being changed right now. You're no longer going to be Jacob. You are going to be Israel. I am changing your perspective. I am changing you. Why? Because now your confidence is not going to be in how you can trick and how you can plan and how you can scheme and how you can manipulate. Now your confidence is going to be in me because you are my child. So when you meet him, he changes your perspective. He changes your personality to seek to hunger after him. He gives you supernatural protection. Does that mean that bad things will never happen to us? No, 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 no. But he says, I will protect you because you are going on my journey. So when he left there, who did he still have to face? He still had to face Esau. Esau came with 400 men. I would assume that Jacob, Israel, he sees that and he swallows really hard, wouldn't you? And then he goes to his brother. He bows down seven times. It's like he runs a little ways and he bows down. He runs a little ways and he bows. And what does Esau do? Draw out the sword and say, I've got you now. No. See, when God had changed Jacob, God also was changing Esau. And Esau embraced him, and Esau hugged him, and Esau kissed him, and, and he restored that, that, that situation that had gone so bad. Look what it says in, in chapter 33, verse 4. And Esau ran to meet him, embraced him, fell on his neck, and he kissed him, and they wept. This is not the same Jacob. This is not the same Esau. Why? Because he wrestled with God, and he surrendered. And look what this. God touched his hip. He disabled him. He's, he's limping. He's walking with a crutch. Because he said, he, said, he, said, he said, Jacob, you will never again carry your burdens because you can't. You remember the song? Leave it there. Leave it there. Leave it there. Take your burdens to the Lord. If you trust him with your doubts, he will surely see you out. Charles Tyndall 
wrote that song. Charles Stender was a black man. Born in the 1800s. His daddy was a slave. He was, they lived in Maryland, a slave state. He married a free woman. And Charles was their baby. Charles Tyndall. Never had a formal education in his life. His mother died at four. And so trying to keep him from going into being a slave like his father, she took him in, but she had to hire him out as a worker. And at that point, black people still had no respect even if they were not slaves. And so who he worked for as a boy would not let him go to church, would whip him. But Charles Tyndall's aunt told him about Jesus. And Charles Tyndall wrote this song, one of the many songs he wrote. Charles Tyndall grew up to become a pastor in Philadelphia in the 1800s early when it was not popular for black men to pastor and you have a congregation of white people and black people. And they asked him one day, how did you endure? How did you make it? Losing both your parents as a child, facing the abuses that you faced, dealing with all the hardships that you dealt with. What keeps you going? And he wrote hymns. And one day he wrote a hymn that said, we'll understand it better. Guys, I don't know what tragedy you've gone through. I don't know what pain you've experienced. I don't know what you've lived through. But I know as a child of God, we'll understand it better by and by. And we take our burdens to the Lord. too much like to do that fish casting, don't we? And reel it back in. But we need to do that stone casting and release it. Because as long as you're reeling it back in, you're staying beat down. Hurting. was the last time you got real honest with him? Maybe you know that you're in a moment, a season of isolation. Maybe
maybe you know that you're in a circumstance. God's still on his throne. And he's got you in his eyes. And he wants to pour into you what he poured into Charles Tyndall. But we don't understand all the hurts and the pains and the difficulties. We'll understand it better by and by. Father, we bow before you this morning. And Lord Jesus, as we